In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. You may have heard the story about a hog or a pig and a chicken. The uh, hog and the chicken, they had a wonderful farmer who they loved so much. And this farmer, it was almost time for his birthday. And so they began to think and discuss what could they get for this farmer who loved them and served them and took care of them. Little do they know or were they aware of what their final destination was, but they loved him. And so one day the chicken said, I have a great idea. I know exactly what we can offer the farmer. And the pig said, tell me, I'm up for anything. The chicken said, you know how much we love this farmer? I think we can give the farmer the best breakfast of his life. And the pig said, that sounds great. What do you have in mind? And he said, I think we could offer him some bacon and eggs. And the pig kind of looked at him side-eyed and said, listen, for you, that's a little sacrifice. That's a couple of eggs. For me, that's a complete commitment. That's my whole life. He said, I'm not sure how I feel about this recommendation or our friendship. In our relationship with God, sometimes we like giving just a little bit of sacrifice. But what God is calling for us to do is to give Him a full commitment. All of ourselves, even if it means our very lives. Tonight we're going to be speaking about a specific aspect of St. Mary's life that points to her total and complete commitment. We're going to be looking at one of the doctrines of the church. And before we look at that doctrine, I just want to point you to two verses or two passages in St. Paul's letters to Timothy. Because sometimes we think about doctrine is like this big word and it's not really relatable to our life. But St. Paul tells us completely otherwise. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, he says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, and the word wholesome here is the word in Greek, hygiene, healthy, life-giving. If anyone does not consent to these words, even the words of the Lord himself, and to the doctrine, there's that word doctrine, which accords to godliness, he is proud and knows nothing. Tonight we're going to be speaking about the doctrine of the ever-virginity of St. Mary. And part of what we have to know when we speak about the ever-virginity of St. Mary it's not just a, an idea. It's not just something that describes the character, the nature, the condition of St. Mary, the commitment of her. But it's something that points us to how we should be living our lives. Because what it says here is that doctrine accords with godliness. Doctrine accords with godliness. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, St. Paul, so the next book in your Bible, 
He says that all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine. So doctrine comes from, what we believe about God comes from the Bible, is what he's telling us here. It's there for four reasons, he says, for reproof. That means to rebuke us when we're going the wrong way. For correction, in other words, not just to tell us we're going the wrong way, but to correct our lives. It's also for instruction in righteousness because we wanna grow up and become more and more like God. And the first one that he mentioned was doctrine. So it's there for doctrine, to tell us what we believe. It's there to reprove us or rebuke us, to correct us and to instruct us. And all of this, and understand that doctrine is there that we can grow up and mature and become complete as humans, as people of God, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when we speak tonight about St. Mary's ever virginity, what I want you to walk away with tonight is that her ever virginity points to a complete commitment that St. Mary had, not just with her first yes, not just with her first let it be to me according to your word, not just her, I'm your maidservant, but the whole of her life afterwards was a complete commitment. In the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 1, verse 30, we're told that the archangel comes to St. Mary and he says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And there's this exchange that takes place where St. Mary is told about the greatness of the son that she's going to bear. And in verse 34, St. Mary asks or says to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? In other words, how is this possible if I am a virgin? This had never been seen before. This had never been known before. But we know that St. Mary was not just a virgin at the time of the conception of Jesus, but the church fathers tell us that St. Mary was a virgin before, during the pregnancy, and after. In other words, her body, her life, was completely dedicated to the purpose and the will of God. The only one who ever entered the body of St. Mary was our Lord Jesus Christ. We refer to St. Mary as Iparthenos, the Virgin. But in our, in our liturgical hymns, we refer to her as Etoi Parthenos, ever Virgin. And we also, and this is, these are the, the Coptic words, we also describe St. Mary as the one who remained a Virgin. The, the hymn Anoknim, Who Am I? And the second part says, and you gave birth to him while remaining a virgin. Ere oi parthenos, remaining a virgin. She remained a virgin. In the Greek, the word there is ai parthenos. And we know that one of the fathers that spoke about St. Mary's, and actually the first one who used that word, ever virgin in Greek was St. Athanasius 
of Alexander. He wasn't the first who described her as ever virgin, but he was the first to use that word hyperphenos. And Saint Athanasius, just so you know, he didn't write in Coptic, he, he wrote in Greek. When he described her as hyperphenos, in other words, she was always, she was perpetually, she was ever virgin. She was completely dedicated and committed fully to Jesus, to, to God. She remained a virgin for her whole life, even in the act of giving birth to Jesus, the Son of God. And we describe this as a mystery. Now, this is everywhere in the teaching of the church. And I'm going to explain why I'm making a deal about this, because this is a deal, and many people these days make a deal about this. We find this, by the way, all throughout our liturgical texts. We find this in that hymn I just told you, Anoknim, it's in the venerations. We find this in the commemoration of the saints. Most of all, the pure, full of glory, ever Virgin Mary. We find this in the morning doxology that we pray or the morning praises before the liturgy. The part when we are addressing to the Virgin, we say, you are the mother of light, the honored mother of God. You have carried the unsubstantial uncircumscript logos after you gave birth to him you remained a virgin this is all throughout our liturgical texts it's all throughout the writings of the church fathers saint athanasius says specifically let those who deny that the son is by nature from the father and pro proper to his essence deny also he took human flesh from the ever virgin mary we all have heard of St. Athanasius. About 100 years before, maybe about 200 years, 150 years before him, there was a saint from France. His name was St. Hilary of Poitiers. He describes the perpetual virginity of Mary. In our iconography, in most Orthodox, or in all Orthodox icons of the Theotokos, there's always three stars on the Virgin, right? You guys know this? Okay, there's usually, I don't know if you can see it in this icon or if it's in this uh, specific icon, but in all Orthodox icons, there's three stars on the Virgin, one on her left shoulder, one on her head, and one on her right shoulder. And that points to the ever virginity, before, during, and after the birth of Christ. It's everywhere throughout the teaching of the church. But it's funny, today if you speak to people, many people in the West will question and doubt, what do you mean St. Mary was a virgin? After she gave birth to Jesus, she lived an ordinary life. Maybe you've heard, many of you have heard this before. And it's a foreign concept, it's a strange concept. And for us, it's not just because it's true, but it also matters. It does matter. And I just want to <laughs> give you a, an interest, if there's anyone who's interested in, in church history, even the early Protestant reformers, even the early Protestants themselves taught that St. Mary was ever virgin. It's very interesting. In fact, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant movement, he defended himself. 
When the people, they attacked him, they said, he said, there's some people out there even accusing me that I don't hold that the virgin is ever virgin. He said, this is nonsense. Zwingli, Bullinger, John Calvin, if you've heard these names, these are the fathers of the Protestant movement. And every one of them, the early reformers, all believed all the way up through John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist church at the end of the 18th century, all of them believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary. It's not until much later, in the 19th, late, mid-19th century, mid-1800s, late-1800s, that some people began to question this. And I think part of it is because many people began to become soft and uncommitted in really seeking the truth and uncommitted in their own relationship with God. They wanted to sacrifice a couple of eggs, like a chicken, but they weren't prepared for a full commitment in their relationship with God. Why is this important? I want to give you four reasons why this is important. Four reasons why the doctrine of the ever-virginity of St. Mary is important for us, and it matters. Because we don't have any belief in the church that is just a doctrine that does not accord to godliness, that does not lead us to live more godly lives. At the end, brothers and sisters, we're not here simply to point to the Virgin, but we're there to be inspired and encouraged and reflect when we look at her complete commitment on our own lives. That's why we call this period Anahda, a revival, is so that we might be awakened and become more and more like God, that we might be recommitted, that we might repent. Four reasons why this is important. Number one, is we learn to walk by faith, not by sight. We learn to walk by faith, not by sight. We don't always fully grasp. Some people might say, like, I don't understand how is it she could be a virgin even during? Or why would she do, like, be committed afterwards? Why wouldn't St. Mary have, but we say we walk by faith, not by sight. It's a truly is a mystery. And I tell you, that's not a cop-out. It's not a cop-out to say that we don't fully grasp things. It's not a, an excuse to say we walk by faith, we trust, we surrender ourselves. Walking by faith means building an ark when it's never rained before. Did Noah fully understand why he was doing what he was doing? He walked by faith. It never rained on the face of the earth until then. Walking by faith means clinging to the promise that he would be the father of the nations even though he was a hundred years old and still childless. Walking by faith means walking around the city of Jericho seven times or walking around once each day for six days and then on the seventh day walking around seven times without understanding fully what was going to happen. That's walking by faith. Walking by faith is walking in obedience to God when the world says it doesn't make sense. Walking by faith is committing ourselves to a life 
that's fully committed to Jesus when the rest of the world is walking the other way. Walking by faith is accepting the doctrines that accord to godliness even when we don't fully grasp it and as we pursue to seek understanding. Walking by faith is us saying that we don't fully comprehend all things, but we are reaching because we desire to know God and we desire to live more holy and righteous lives. There are lots of things I don't understand, but I accept if God has said so, and if the church has instructed me in that, that it's important. And I seek to live its impact, not just to understand it. Number two is it directs us to the incarnation of Christ. The ever-virginity of St. Mary points us to something beyond herself. We describe her as the virgin. In our beautiful hymn, Ifrahi Maryam, Rejoice, O Mary, we say, Rejoice, O Mary, because the cherubim and the seraphim praise the one who is seated on your lap. That's where the joy of the virgin comes from. This points to something beyond her, it points to God becoming man. It points to and reminds us of the uniqueness and the awesomeness of the Incarnation. It reminds us that if such a mystery is ineffable for us, of the ever-virginity, then how much more the Incarnation? And so yes, we describe the Incarnation as a mystery. Saint Cyril of Alexandria described it as the scandal of the Incarnation because it's something people would look at and say, I can't fully grasp. But the Virgin looked and gazed upon the Logos, God in the flesh before her. It directs us to the Incarnation of Christ as in the Tizbeha, we describe St. Mary as the living ark, the living ark, or the second tabernacle. She became the very temple of the living God. In her womb was very God of God, we say in the Tizbeha. Number three, very importantly, it points us to complete dedication, complete commitment. Now, we said that St. Mary is described as the second tabernacle or the second um, temple. When I was first married, my wife and I, we went to this restaurant in, I want to say it was downtown Matawan. It went out of business a few years ago and then reopened recently. And uh, we went in and, you know, sat down and had a really good meal. And then halfway through the meal, I was looking around and we kind of looked at each other. I said, do you, do you notice that this place looks a lot like a church? And, um, and we kind of like were both very struck. 
And then we looked a little bit more, and it was like, no, no, this doesn't look, this is a church. This is an old church. And then we looked it up, and this was a church that had opened in 1850, and, um, and it had, I guess, closed or whatnot, and I looked, and I'm like, we're, we're sitting in the altar, or what would have been the altar. And I've got to tell you, it felt completely weird. It felt completely strange to be sitting at an altar and eating a meal. Because what we know is when we walk into a church, this place is completely dedicated. It is set apart for a different type of work. Liturgy is, literally means the work of the people. Liturgy, it's the, the ergon of the laos. And our work, our ergon, our work that we do, it's a divine work. This is a different kind of work. Imagine sitting, God forbid, ever in an altar and having a meal. How strange that would leave you. Imagine if next week the father said, we're converting the church into a basketball court. There would be chaos here. There would be anarchy. All the fathers would be, and this would never happen, be thrown out, you'd call Bishop Gabriel, he'd be here within a 15 minutes. Because this place is dedicated, it is set apart. And when we look at St. Mary as ever virgin, what we believe and what that doctrine can points us to is that she was completely dedicated. It wasn't just for a short period of time. It wasn't just for nine months or for 13 years plus nine months. No, she was completely dedicated. Her whole life was set apart. How might one who carried God himself within her except to carry another. She was completely dedicated and set apart. St. Mary's body was for and completely for God himself. All of her body and all of the time. Not some of the time, not most of the time, not when it felt good, not when she agreed, not when her parents were able to convince her, not when she felt guilty, all of the time. You know, there's um, a really interesting phenomenon that I noticed happening lately. And um, I, I started noticing like, you know, that there's been a lot of conversations lately about tattoos. And, um, and it's interesting because people are, you know, like I, before, like growing up, I didn't see a whole lot of tattoos in, in, uh, in church. And I've started noticing lately like a bunch of tattoos all over people in church. And, and I've got to tell you, like the scripture is very clear uh, about tattoos. Leviticus 19, I believe verse 28. Uh, very, very clear. Uh, you know, people will say, well, you know, we... We don't accept the Old Testament anymore, right? I mean, it's, it's nice when we like it, but not when we don't want to like it. When we don't want to go along with it, then, ah, no. we, don't, we don't accept those things in the Old Testament, right? So, 
But it's, it's interesting, like our body, our body is always dedicated to God. Every, all of our body, all of the time. And that goes for, like, I imagine St. Mary, what she ate, where she went, what she listened to. She was living today what she would watch, completely dedicated unto God. See, e parthenos or i parthenos is not just, ever virginity is not just, it's not just, and, it's, and when I say just, it's, it's a big thing, but it's not simply, I should perhaps say, it's not simply that she didn't have another child after that. It's that and so much more. It's that her life was completely set apart and dedicated onto God. The clothes that she wear, the food that she ate, what she drank, what she refused to eat, everything was onto God. When we are dedicated, it's not just for a moment. It's not just for two weeks during Nahda. It's not just for a week during Pascha. It's not just on Sundays. And then the rest of the week, our life looks completely different. I received a, a very, like, <laughs> saddening phone call the other day from a gentleman who says to me, you know, you, you really need to understand what's actually happening out there in the world. He says, you know, people are showing up to church. And church, when he said church, he's, churches, says they're, you know, going to church and they're living in church and they're taking communion and they're teaching Sunday school, but then out in the world they're living completely different lives. And he says, I can tell you, and, you know, without too many details, he was just saying, I can tell you people are living like breaking the law like rampantly and living very more, he said, like, I, he said, you know, you guys, you fathers have to teach on this. I'm like, told him, I'm like, man, we're, we're all teaching about it all, all the time, I think. But St. Mary didn't need to be reminded because she was completely dedicated all the time. But we're told in the scripture that scripture is given for doctrine, but it's also given for rebuke and for correction. And so I remind you, brothers and sisters, that we are also to be completely dedicated to God all of the time and in every way. Number four, number four, it's a defining attribute. The ever virginity, the virginity of St. Mary is a defining attribute. People refer to her simply, when someone says the virgin, is there anyone else in the world that anyone else thinks about when you say the virgin? Is there anyone? The virgin is St. Mary. We know it. Everyone knows it. It is a defining attribute. It is what we think about or who we think about when we hear that word. There's a story that's told that one day there was a philosopher who was sitting alone on a bench in New York City and he was pondering who he was and his existence as philosophers oftentimes do. The policeman thought that he was a criminal, so he walked over, he shook him, and he said to him, who are you? And the philosopher said, I wish I knew. We as Christians, 
should know exactly who we are. Our lives should have a defining attribute that points always back to God. Mary's identity is bound up in her virginity. This is the essence of her virginity, of her, of her identity, of who she is. But as I mentioned, she's not the great exception. She's the great example. We too have a, an identity that's tied up in who we are in Christ. You know, our identity is not ultimately who we are as doctors or lawyers or engineers or teachers or priests or deacons or Sunday school servants or parents or if we have children or if we're married or not, that's not ultimately the defining attribute of our identity. The defining attribute of our identity always points back to who we are in relation to Christ. Who we are in Him. If you read through St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, his first three chapters, it's constantly pointing to who we are. We are in Him. We are in Christ. And we are masterpieces. We're citizens of heaven. All of this has to do, we're adopted. We're holy. It's who we are ultimately in Christ. Her identity is tied to Him. The question we should be pondering and asking ourselves is what's our identity? Who are we? When someone looks at you or me, who do they see? What does our life point to? When we look at the Virgin, her life clearly points to the one who is seated on her lap, whom the cherubim and the seraphim, they praise. And we too, we worship him and say, holy, holy, holy. And so in our own lives, I challenge you, I encourage you to think less of your identity in terms of your job, your stage of life, whether or not you're married or have children, and more in relation to who you are in your truest sense, in your identity in Christ. When we completely say yes to God, this makes a huge difference around us. We've got to learn to trust God, to walk by faith, not by sight to point to Christ with our entire lives, to be completely dedicated and to allow our lives to be defined by a relationship to Him rather than what it is that we're doing or vocationally our job or how well we're doing in school. We pray for and ask for the intercession of St. Mary that she would ask for the Lord to have mercy upon us that this would truly be a time of our own repentance, our own revival, our own renewal, so that our lives becoming more and more dedicated unto God might also bring glory and praise and worship and majesty to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom is all glory.